right, we're going to get right into it today. Is that okay? You don't have a say anyways, so <laughs> just ask to be nice. My name is Nate. Uh, I'm the associate pastor here. If you don't know me, I'm glad you're here if you're new. Um, so in December, uh, on December 6th, I preached a message called Preparing for Revival. And so this is a part two, a follow-up for that. So Louise is going to come actually give us a sum. Um, where are you, Louise? I'm just kidding. Uh, she said, she said, she said I, do you have the notes from that? I don't remember that. I said, no one remembers that, Louise. It's okay. But, uh, but if, if you'd like to listen to it, it was the December 6th message. You can go back and listen to it. It's online. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we spoke about just as an on-ramp into today's message. But have you noticed that several of, of my messages have been about preparation? Yes, Nate, we've noticed that. Thank you. Yes. And um, the reason is when you study revival history, we can learn a lot from it. Okay, all the way back to the Old Testament, the children of Israel watching people like Josiah and Hezekiah, you know, make things right and, and, uh, and turn back to the Lord and see whole groups of people turn to the Lord. And then into the New Testament, we see it to so many of the churches in Antioch and things like this, that going forward, just this one or two people make a huge change. And even recent history, in the last 300 years, okay, the First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, Welsh Revival, Azusa, Toronto, Brownsville, there's so many, okay, that you can't name them all, I'm not going to talk about all of them, but what we need to know is that we can learn from them, okay? One of the things that I've learned is that several of the revivals, especially the ones that didn't last a long time, came when people were unprepared for them, okay, or the, the church at large was unprepared, Okay, and, and maybe, maybe that was one of the reasons, because my, my personal belief is that the Lord, his heart is for sustained revival. You know what that means, revival that lasts and doesn't have an end date. Does that make sense? Okay, so I think so often we look back and we're like, well, God was just done pouring out and so he hit stop. I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know if I'm okay with that. I don't know if the word really lines up with too much with that, but uh, that being said, when we go back and we learn, we got... Man, sometimes the move of the Lord came, people got radically transformed, and they're like, what do we do now? And then there was so much learning on the go, which there always will be, but I think that we can minimize the amount that needed to learn on the go when we prepare in advance. Does that make sense? Okay. So what we talked about in December, there were just three action steps. I'll give you 10 bucks if you can tell me what the three action steps are right now without looking back at your notes. But uh, the first one was keep up the good work. So many people already are doing what's necessary to prepare their hearts. Buying oil, right? Intimacy with the Lord, prayer, fasting, the, uh, look, you know, uh, being like the sons of Issachar and knowing the times, right? Not, not having your head in the sand because ignorance doesn't equate with holiness. You guys know these things, right? So, so, so if you're in that camp, the first step is keep up the good work. The second one was devote yourselves to the things that the, the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, devote yourself to the thing, same thing they devoted themselves to because it ended well for them, right? And so we, we, we look back and we learn principles from what the early church was doing. They were devoted themselves to prayer, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the apostles' teaching. Basically, commit yourself to a local church and a home group because all those things happen in those contexts, Right? And so that, that was the part two, be an active part of the body of Christ, not just a fly on the wall. Uh, and number three was yield to the move of God, okay? We need to, when he moves, we move. We look at him and see what he's looking at so we know what to look at, okay? We listen to him and we say what he's saying. That's, how, that's what Jesus did. He said, I only say what I hear the Father say, and I only do what I see the Father do, 
Okay, we're to follow Jesus' example. Jesus looked to the Father and he yielded to the Father. And that's what we can do also. Today I want to go even further. I subtitled the message, Moving from Spectator to Participant. Okay? Did you hear that? <laughs> Moving from spectator to participant. And I think that this is a really, really key point. Okay? If you're going to write something down, you pull out the little pencil that for some reason in church is half the size of a normal pencil. Because the Bible says you're not allowed to have real pencils in church. You have to have golf pencils. <laughs> and, and write down, I'm moving from spectator to participant. And write it on your forehead and look at it in the mirror in the morning or something. You might have to write it backwards to read it. I don't know. I think you do, yeah. All right. In studying revivals, okay, in studying revivals, when we go all the way back, we start to see um, trends, actually patterns that are, so, that are so consistent in between revivals that you're like, is there a blueprint for this? Like, it seems like they read the blueprint, and they were like, oh, this is how we do it. But the truth is, they, they, they really didn't. Uh, okay, so some, some, like, especially in recent, you know, in the last, we'll say in the last 50 years, have, have known to look back and go, oh, because they have all these records that are easily accessible now. Stuff's written down in books. There's articles. Now we have the internet. It's easy to look back and learn. Whereas a couple hundred years ago, it really wasn't that easy to look back and, and learn. Even 100 years ago, 120 years ago, it really wasn't that easy to look back and learn, okay? So yeah, I'm reading about the Azusa. I was studying the Azusa Street Revival recently, and, it's, and it says, oh, and William Seymour showed up in, in, uh, in Los Angeles. He, he's from Louisiana. And I was like, well, how did he get there? Well, he didn't drive because he didn't have a car. You know, so you think, think about, like, like that. Was, it wasn't like, yeah, we'll just do a little three-day road trip out to California. Like, no, it was, like, obviously you heard from the Lord and, and went, and it took a long time to get there. And anyways, it's just little things like that. But you look back and you see that throughout history, there's a few things that are common when, when, in talking about revival. One is that sin is abounding, okay? When you look around, uh, the culture at large embraces sin as... Uh, <laughs> I saw that, as uh, okay. Actually, they take it a step further, and they call things that are evil good, and things that are good evil. And where it gets really bad is when people in the church start doing the same thing, okay? That's when you know you have a real problem. The church sometimes is, is operating mostly as powerless, denying the miracle working power of God. Uh, Christianity gets compartmentalized, okay, where I go like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but that's just something I say to you so that we don't have to talk about it any further and I'm actually not doing anything to prove that I'm actually a follower of Jesus, especially following Jesus, okay? But, but in word, I'm a Christian. Um, many people, you know, they say it, but there's actually nothing there. Um, and many people have abandoned the church, and saying, like, well, I just got, it's just me and Jesus, I don't need the church. Okay, how many of you have heard that? It's a bunch of crap. So, you write that down, too, on the same piece of paper. You're like, I don't remember where he applied this, but we're writing it down. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's one of the biggest lies that the devil's used, okay? Church attendance down, like, 30% in the last 20 years is ridiculous, okay? People aren't getting unsaved. You understand that? People aren't getting unsaved, they're getting de-churched. Okay, 
I don't care if you've been offended. Actually, I do care. I'm very sorry if you've been offended by the church, okay? But get over it. I'm, I'm serious. If you're, you're going to let offense stop you from walking in, in your calling and anointing in, in the kingdom and the family of God, you're going to tell me that your relatives have never offended you? Your relatives have offended you way more than the church have ever offended you. You guys have never offended me, by the way. <laughs> My in-laws are here this morning, so <laughs> I'm blessed with great in-laws. You guys know that. I talk about them a lot. All right. Okay. We have, we get the, paint the picture, darkness, right? They call evil good. They call good evil. It starts to seep its way into the church, okay? Then uh, it, it, goes, it goes even further, okay? Okay. Uh, uh, Well, let me say this first. Sorry. Then there's some... No, we don't have time to go into that. All right. Reroute. Okay. You have darkness, seeps way into the church. Where it seeps way into the church and it really starts to become a problem is when pastors get up and start saying things like, hey, gay marriage is okay. All right? And they go, hey, you know, love is love. Jesus is God of love, so it's okay. We, we've, just, we've just evolved so much. We didn't know back then what we know now, so gay marriage is okay. Ridiculous. Total 180, abomination of scripture. I don't have to go into that too much more, I don't think. Then they start showing up and they go, hey, you know what? Extramarital sex, that's also okay. You want to have sex before you're married? You got to get to know somebody. Go for it. Okay? The Lord, or they'll say like, ah, oh, the Lord will forgive you. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, as long as you're not. Oh, as long as you're not. And this is compromise. This comes from pulpits. Okay? So what are we supposed to think? Well, these are men anointed by God. I guess what they're saying is truth. That's when you know it starts to be a big problem. Okay, when churches as a whole stand up and they go, hey, we're going to bow to the need of the government instead of Jesus. Hey, well, the government says this. The government says we need to close our doors. So we got to respect the government because the Bible says to respect your leaders. I'll tell you what, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say to bow, the, bow your knee to the government instead of bowing your knee to the Lord. Okay, and I'll tell you what the Bible does say. The Bible says don't forsake meeting together. That's some are in the habit of doing. When you get leaders that stand up and go, if you open your doors... You hate people. If you open the doors, you're racist. If you open the doors, you're a murderer. And then you're like, well, I don't want to be thought of as a murderer, so I'm going to bow my knee to that. I mean, what if we lose attendance? What if we lose tithes? I'm like, what if God gets upset with you? That should hold a little bit more weight than what if man gets upset with me. I'll tell you what, people are upset with me all the time. There's going to be people that listen to this message online for years, and they read, and they're going to get offended and upset with me. Look at me. This is me caring. <laughs> I care much more. I, I, don't, I don't mean to be crass. I'm serious. I care way more about what God thinks about what I say. I've said some wrong things, and the, and the Lord will convict me on it, and that gets me upset and frustrated. I go, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. And he's so quick to forgive. I love that. All right. Back on track. Darkness, Okay. Uh, then what happens is disasters happen, okay? We look back in history, so many things that preceded revival, fires, earthquakes, economic crash, political unrest, racism, riots, all kinds of things. I'm not, I'm not even talking about recently. This is not, did you know that one of the biggest things that troubled people during the Azusa revival of the early 1900s was that white people and black people were worshiping together? Did you know that? 
It's written in church history, it's written more that the contention was that William Seymour showed up and said, you guys need to be speaking in tongues. He, he showed up and he said, he said, the baptism of the Holy Spirit includes speaking in tongues. Let's do it. Let's go after everything that the Lord has for us we want to say yes to. And then it's written like, well, and the leaders came and they were like, hey, that's not really our, you know, like they, they basically fired, they did. They fired him and they said, uh, they took, basically took away his ministry rights, whatever that means. Men can't take away your ministry rights. And, uh, and they said, they said, but if you do ever get baptized by the Holy Spirit, let us know, because we'd like to have that too, okay? And, and, then, and then they kind of release him or whatever. But, but really, what the problem was is the people that came were offended that black people and white people were worshiping together, okay? So that's not a new problem, right? And so that, that was one of the things that, that caused, so much, caused so much tension 120 years ago was race, okay? But you see, you have disasters, okay? So, I want to just fast forward to kind of where we're at. If you see a pattern developing, okay? Darkness, can we check that box? Yeah, we can, okay? America, many schools, politics, our government leaders, even churches calling things that are evil good, calling things that are good evil, okay? We're seeing this happen, yes? Especially in the last 20 years, yes? Okay, have you seen any disasters in the last couple of years? Yes, and I have so many jokes that I wanted to put in right here, but I want you to know that I didn't, okay? So you're welcome. But I know, but it's just not time for it right here. And the Lord was like, Nate, stay on point. I'm like, okay, I'm going to stay on point. I can do that. So we had a lot of disasters, but I, in my opinion, the biggest disaster wasn't a virus. The biggest disaster was all the fear that it's ca- that, that's caused politically. That is a disaster. That is the biggest disaster that I've seen is that, is that there is so much fear in our society today. That is a massive disaster. And Sloan and I were talking, and we've, we realized in this last couple of years that people would rather have safety than freedom. Okay? And by the way, safety, right? It's a facade, okay? I'm just saying. Nonetheless, it's been disastrous, okay? Uh, we had wide, all the political stuff, right, in the election. Widespread voter fraud, a rigged election, all these things. We had riots, we had all this hatred, Churches, like, you should open, you should close, you should, like, oh my gosh, it was just a disaster, okay? And then we have the big freeze, some of you call it snowvid or the snowpocalypse or whatever you want to call it. Um, it that, that affected, you know, this, this central area here. Many people, that was like way more damage than had been done in the last 18 months. I mean, people losing their houses and just like running out of food and water and all these things. People died. I mean, it was, a, it was an incredibly huge disaster, okay? So do you see the pattern developing? Okay. If you don't, re-listen to this message. Okay. I believe that God was and is still working in and through all that's been going on. Even more, Corey Russell said it in a podcast that Kyle sent me uh, this week, that the shaking that's been happening, obviously affecting the church, has given us an opportunity to respond, okay? We have a response to the shaking, okay? And I... What I want to say today is that one of the points I'm going to make is that we must respond. You have to respond. Or else what happens? Shaking continues until, until a response is made. Okay. I believe that God's been looking for a people, for a church, who would rise up and respond to the evil that's going on, who would rise up and respond to uh, the disasters, who will not bow to the government, but who will bow to Yahweh, um, by the way, I'm not calling for some sort of uh, 
anti-disestablishment or you know this some sort of uprising or whatever not yet so um i'm just i'm saying we we pray for our government leaders we we love uh very we love like with the love of jesus but i'm saying that when the government comes down with a um a condition to be met a law statute ordinance that directly goes against what the word of god has said you don't obey that one so and, it's, and we do that out of love and fear for the Lord, yep. not out of some sort of obstinance or hatred for the government. Yeah. So that's just the way it falls. So, um, but he's been looking for people that would fast, pray, and cry out, because that's what happens when we look back at, at past revivals. When the darkness gets dark and a disaster happens, a small group of people starts fasting and praying and crying out for revival. That small group of people turns into a larger group of people. And then, usually what happens is in some little, tiny, insignificant church that no one has heard of, Revival breaks out. Never happens in a mega church. It just doesn't. I'm just in, in history. But it happens in some little church of people that have been faithfully praying, faithfully crying out, faithfully fasting, faithfully not bowing the knee to the, to the culture, faithfully not calling things that are wrong, right, and right, wrong. Just being faithful and persevering and pushing through, and bam, the Lord shows up. Mass converts, healing, deliverance. People who just Crime drops. I mean, these are, these are markers and proven history of what happens in revival. But it doesn't just happen. You have to move from spectator to participant. I believe that one of the things the Lord's been looking for in the last couple of years is for a group of people that will cry out against murdering the unborn. People that will stand up and say, I was, one of the things that offended me so much, I've, I've worked past this and in a, into a, in a, I'm at a good place with it now. One of the places that offended me so much, I'm going, why won't pastors stand up and say that if you vote for baby killers, it's sin? If you support the devil's work, that's sin. And the Lord will hold the sin against you. Can write that down too. But the Lord, I've been so I've been so happy with the response of River in the Hills Church in the last couple of years. So good job, keep it up. But it's just like I'm going to get to these points here. In Acts chapter eight, verses five through twenty-five, Stephen has just been stoned. He's just been martyred. Okay, amazing story. Actually, just so many so many good things in there. I don't have time to get into it today. Paul, or I'm sorry, Saul is overseeing the murder of Stephen. Stephen had just preached a wicked sermon, really good. Wicked means good. Okay, I'm from California. <laughs> and um, he just preached a gnarly sermon. <laughs> but he stood, up, he stood up and he said all this stuff to this group of people, and they were angry, yeah. angry. And so we, sometimes when, when Stephen is stoned and, and he sees Jesus standing uh, at the right hand of the Father and, and he, you know, he goes to heaven and he dies, Sometimes we're like, oh, that's the story of Stephen. But it actually continues. They were so angry at what Stephen had said, that's when the persecution against the church started. That Saul actually started going around. They started arresting Christians, murdering them, persecuting them. That's when everybody had to scatter, okay? And Philip goes to Samaria, okay? Philip goes to Samaria, and what does he do there? Does he hide out? No, he just starts preaching Christ there. He's like, I can't preach it here. I'll go preach it there. So he starts preaching Christ in Samaria. There's a lot that I could tell you about how that must have looked, but he went to this place, started preaching Christ, 
And the Bible is really, really just to the point about this. It says, demons started shrieking and coming out of people. People were turning their lives over to Jesus, getting healed and set free. So much so that the disciples heard and they were like, Samaria? Really? And they came and they were like, oh, yeah. Well, let's get them filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they all laid, because they said that they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet, so they laid hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. An entire town or city was changed because one guy went and shared the gospel because of persecution. Isn't that cool? So you see darkness, a disaster, stoning of Stephen, and then one guy who had had a history and lifestyle of prayer and fasting, okay, who had been with the Lord, who had been with this group of these early believers, with these group of the early church, and he went out and did all he knew how to do. It was real simple. He just went and told people about Jesus, and boom, changed the whole city. I want us to respond like the early church did, to the shaking, to the darkness, to the condition of our culture today. I think many are. I believe that, that God is responding to our response and that we're in the early stages of revival. The greatest revival that the world has ever seen and I believe we'll ever see. And I think I'm just going to give you three ways, three more ways that we can prepare for it. There's so many, there's so many things. This is not exhaustive. The list in December wasn't exhaustive. The list today isn't. I'm not going to be able to say everything. Maybe be like, well, what if you didn't say this? Yes, do that, prepare. Um, it's, just, it's just the three things that the Lord showed me here. Number one is see the signs and make the turns, okay? See the signs and make the turns. Remember, we're asking the question, how do I prepare? Well, I see a sign and I make a turn. What does that mean? Read the stories. I don't have time to read them to you this morning. Read the stories in the Old Testament, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, I think both of them, of Josiah, King Josiah, and King Hezekiah. You see what they did to turn a nation around. These are, these are their leaders, okay? But Josiah, Josiah, they're like cleaning out the temple one day. Somebody finds the Torah, and they bring it to him, and, and they start reading, and he rips his clothes, and he's like, our forefathers, they haven't been following this. He's so distraught. So you know what he does? He murders every false priest that's burning incense to Baal. He takes all of the, the idol worship stuff out of the temple and burns all of it and then desecrates the ashes. And he, and he basically holds a mass repentance. The first thing he does, he brings in all of his staff, like all the chiefs, priests, all the elders. He brings in everybody and he reads the entire Torah to them in one sitting. I'm not kidding. That's what the Bible says. He just reads the entire thing to them. And he's like, this is what we're following now. And basically anybody that has a problem with that, well, back then, they got killed. But thank you for Jesus. We're not going to kill anybody. But you see, it, I'm talking drastic measures. Drastic measures. You see, that's the point. You see a sign and you make a turn. He saw what the, he saw where they were going, he heard, he saw the sign was the reading of the word, and he went, oh, we're, we're not doing this anymore, and he made a 100-degree turn. There's another name for that. Do you know what it is? Repentance. Repentance. Good job. All right. See the signs, make the turns. Uh, if we don't see what God's doing or hear what he's saying and respond well, we miss the move of God. Another marker of every past revival, listen to me, another marker of every past revival is there was always a group of Christians, say Christians, there's always a group of Christians who denies what God's doing. Every single time, they look at the move of God and they say, that's not God, that's the devil. And then they, and then they start 
hurling insults. That's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Start hurling insults at what God's doing. And they say, nope, that's the devil. More re- most recently, Toronto and Brownsville. How many of you heard some of those insults and slurs towards what God was doing? That ain't God. God wouldn't do that, like we would know. And, 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 and there's always, in Azusa, there's, there's always a group of born-again believers who go, nope, and they reject it, and they miss out. Every single, every single revival that I've read about, there's always a group that says, nope, don't be a part of that group. Don't fall into that lie. You are, no one, you're not, it's, it's not like you have immunity because you're a believer in Jesus. I'm talking about believers in Jesus that look at what the move of God and they say, no, Isaiah 43 prophesies, lift up your head, do you not perceive it? Meaning that it is possible to not perceive the new thing that God is doing. When John the Baptist preached, when he was preaching, prepare the way of the Lord, remember he's a forerunner to Jesus, right? When John the Baptist was preaching, what was he preaching? Repentance. That was his message. That's the way that he prepared the way for the Lord was by coming and saying, repent, turn. So it's still just as true today. All right, number two, fast and pray. We follow the example of Jesus and his disciples. It's the responsibility of every believer. We have to all corporately together call out for revival in agreement. We talked about this at home group on Friday. The corporate agreement carries power. Can't be spectators and going like, yeah, I'm a part of a church who fasts and prays. You are the church. And fasting means not eating food. Not not looking at social media. We can't be spectators in a big group just looking around and looking, oh, yeah, that's cool. Look what God's doing. Oh, look at their gift. Oh, look at that person's getting touched. Man, get in the water. The water's nice. All right. Fasting and praying, we need to have full buy-in. When Jesus and his followers, which we are his followers, Jesus and his followers developed a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Okay, we know this. Right When the disciples brought the boy to Jesus and they said, hey, why can't we cast the demon out? And he said, it's because of your unbelief. This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And then Jesus cast the demon out. You know the story. Jesus did not stop and fast or pray in that moment. What did he mean? Here's what I believe. Go back and read the story, okay? They brought this boy. The Bible says that he had been thrown into the fire and thrown into the water repeatedly by demons. Okay, I guarantee you the boy was hideous. Picture it in your mind, hideous, covered in scars, probably had maybe an eye that didn't work. I mean, I'm just, I mean, probably had uh, hair that had been singed and burned off. He's bald, covered in scars, maybe bleeding sores, plus he's convulsing and not in his right mind, okay? He looks demon-possessed. That shook the disciples. They let what they saw interpret what they believed, and they lost belief that they could cast the demon out. Okay, Jesus, because of his lifestyle of prayer and fasting, because of his closeness with the Lord, was not shaken by what he saw because he, was greater, he had a greater influence from heaven than he did from earth. He did not pray in heaven as it is on earth. He prayed on earth as it is in heaven, and he went, well, there's none of that in heaven. 
and he told the demon to leave, and he left, and the boy was totally free. That's what fasting and prayer develops. Number three, worship team, come on back up. Stay engaged, everybody else. Number three is do the stuff. It's an old John Wimber saying. Do the stuff. John 14, 12 says, whoever believes in me, the same works that I've done you'll do. Raise your hand if you believe in Jesus. Keep your hands up. I'm just going to look around and see if there's anybody that doesn't believe in Jesus. We're going to get them saved this morning. (laughs) All right. It says, whoever believes in me will do the same works and even greater because I'm going to the Father. Go back and read through the Gospels and see the works that Jesus did. Jesus himself said, which means promised, that you would do the same thing. So don't, don't spectate. Don't look around and go, well, I'm going to wait until I'm clothed with that power to where I, like I'm going to wait until I feel like I have an accurate word of knowledge before I give it. I'm going to wait until like, until like the Lord shows up with an angel and speaks to me and tells me to go lay hands on the sick. He already did tell you to go lay hands on the sick. The order's been given, the power's been released, the Holy Spirit's been sent, and we're ready. Okay? It's just, it's just the way that it is. Everybody gets to play. Everybody that believes in Jesus has what it takes. Everybody. Say everybody. Do you know who that leaves out? Nobody. Nobody. As long as you believe in Jesus. I don't want anybody to feel like they need to just sit around and watch other people use their gifts and feel like, oh, I I messed up this week. I messed up this week. I sinned this week. I can't lay hands on anyone. I messed up this week. I can't take communion. I messed up this week. I don't even know if I should go to church. I'm such a hypocrite. Yeah, you are a hypocrite. So am I. You're all hypocrites. We'll we'll, we'll, We'll just climb that hill together right now. We'll descend down the other side. People that accuse, people come up to me and they're like, well, I don't know, Christians are hypocrites. I'm like, yeah, hey, we totally are. So are you. You're not even a Christian and you're a hypocrite. Let's just stop letting little, thing, little truths like that stop us from, from moving. Jesus knows you're a hypocrite. It's okay. It's not okay to be hypocritical, but you'll, you'll get past it this last thing, do the stuff. I want us to just press in in prayer day after day so that we will expect the Lord to move. Expect miracles. Expect goodness. It's who he is. If I come into a meeting and people don't get healed and delivered, I'm going to be shocked and go, because I'm expecting God to show up and do what he said he's going to do. I'm expecting him to exercise his character because it's who he is. We're doing the stuff. See the signs and make the turns. Fast and pray and do the stuff. I'm telling you, there's so, there's so many more things. Maybe we'll do a part three. But the long and the short of it is the, the more you press into Jesus with eagerness and sincerity, the easier this stuff just becomes. It's not, I mean, the call to Christianity is a call to come and die, right? And take up your cross. It's a great sales pitch. It's like, yeah, come and die. But, I, but it's, it's so rewarding because it's so true. I don't, I don't have to sell this to any of you because none of you got sold. It's such a gift. And the more we take advantage of it, 
This is not the time in history to just ride, just ride and through life and go, yeah, well, I said a prayer when I was five. I'll be good. I'll go to church a couple times a year. I'll be good. Oh, yeah, I have a faith. I just don't need church. I don't need your prayers. I don't need people. I don't need that. It's weird. Man, the Lord, he died for us. Jesus died for us. He gave us everything. Why can't we give him everything? He's so worthy. He deserves everything that we have to give. We are no longer in the days of give the Lord an hour and a half and 20 bucks once a week. It's just, it's not going to cut it for us. It's not enough for us. Would you stand?